There's a structure to how communication works. Smart people, not creative people, have studied this. First, I have to get your attention. Second, I have to tell you what I want. Third, I have to persuade you. That's the way it works. If you're at all curious what it's like to start an ad agency at the worst possible time, this might be the podcast for you. That's because I started one last year and my God, it is hard. So what I'm doing is I'm talking to people who have found success in our industry and then applying what I learned to my own life and business. If it doesn't work, I'm more hurt than someone who trips, falls and and skins their knee and is hurt. Hey, so guest today is George Tannenbaum. And as far as guests have gone, he might be the most famous in the advertising space. Uh, Put it this way, Steve Hayden, who is the CCO of Ogilvy Worldwide, said that George is the most literate fellow that ever passed through the halls of Ogilvy, including David himself. That's David Ogilvy. So in my opinion, he's one of the best copywriters today and maybe of all time. And all you have to do is look at his work and or look at his blog, which is by far one of the most popular blogs, maybe the most popular. Tons of people read it. It's called Ad Aged. And his writing is in, is incredible. It's, you know, you don't, you don't normally have somebody who can be a novelist or something or be a successful writer of, with their own writing and, and have them choose to be in advertising. People normally want to be an artist or something else before they go into advertising. And actually, in the conversation, George is going to talk about this. So the fact that he agreed to come on this small podcast with a no-name guy, you know, and just like, I think this is the 10th episode, is, is pretty amazing and pretty generous with his time. Because if you look him up, he's he's on podcasts that are big time. So I want to thank George, but of course, first a gush update before we get into that. I actually like this gush update. There's there's always a lot technically that I could say and share, but I think this one's both funny and a big learning experience for me in terms of taking advantage of a situation. Today, I joined a virtual networking event that somebody from the Adweek mentee, executive mentee cohort, uh, suggested that I join as well as a lot of other people, or I guess everybody within that. Um, when I joined, we're put into breakout groups, which is, you know, the, there were like 70 people on the call and breakout groups are five people usually that are in a smaller group and can have a conversation for a set amount of time. In this case, it was about 20 minutes. Somebody introduced themselves and said that they are a pretty senior person for the Phoenix Suns uh, basketball. And they were talking about, you know, how excited they are that basketball is back on the air. So I said, you know, I didn't even know that basketball was on. I made some joke. Don't even remember it. But the woman who had just talked jokingly said, we, you know, we, how do we get this guy out of this chat? And I was like, haha, very great. Then the next person introduced themselves and was like, Hey, I work at insert sports team. Next person, I work at whatever sports thing. And then the next person, I was in a sports marketing virtual meetup. There were three breakout groups, uh, four, actually four breakout groups. The first two, I was like, by the end of the second one, I was like, I don't know if this is worth it. I'm not going to do the third one. But then I was like, you know what? Why don't I try? And instead of saying, hey, I'm a comedy ad agency and I don't belong here. 
why don't I say that, hey, we're, you know, a comedy ad agency that's focused on supporting teams and helping them stay connected with their fans because content is super important right now. And even more importantly, giving, uh, you know, making good on on their partnerships by offering engaging content that people like and comment on and share and whatever. Again, only five people. But one of them was like, hey, I could really use your services and we should talk. Who the fuck knows where it's going to go? This stuff normally doesn't go anywhere. But I feel pretty proud of myself that I I stuck around and I was like, well, how, how can I, instead of being like, why did this dude tell me to come here and this is stupid and I feel like an idiot, how can I almost kind of fake it till I make it or take advantage of this situation to get what it is I'm trying to get out of these virtual networking events? So... Anyways, that's a lesson I learned. That's something I'm, I'm excited about and um, I'll continue to do in the future if a situation like that presents itself. That is the Gush Update. So let's just hop into the Thunderdome with George. All right. So what's your problem with Gary V? Let's start there. You know what? Um, Gary V, in my mind, um, is an archetype. And there's a certain archetype I do not like. I never liked Reggie Jackson because, like, shut your mouth and hit the ball. I never liked Billy Martin because just managed the ball club. I never liked George Steinbrenner. They're bullies. I don't like uh, the guy in the White House now, whatever his name is. He's a bully. Gary V is a braggart and a bully, and I don't know what he's done. And 99% of what he puts online that I see is so in-your-face asinine that it just offends me it would be one thing if he produced 150 great ads a year and i said god that guy's got something to tell me but i can't name one thing that he's done except kill mr peanut so i don't want to hear his advice i don't believe anything about his ethics his morals his success story or his grooming habits or his sneakers to tell you the truth that's fair. Um, it's tough because I'm I'm kind of a fan of him. But are I, you? Every, okay. No, no, no. I mean, like that's that's why it's that's why it's interesting, and that's why I wanted to ask you. I mean, yeah. I I don't like telling people that because I think there's a there's kind of a stigma. The, here's the thing: everything you said is is true. Like in terms of creative work, in terms of you know everything like that. I guess what I like about him is that is not like the work your ass off mindset. But um, I don't know. I just kind of find him inspiring sometimes. You know, here's a, here's a guy that launched, um, you know, did the first, was the first to do Google ads and turned his father's wine company into an online business, starred VaynerMedia, which totally agree, like their creative isn't that great. But like, it's one of the only agencies that's hiring right now. So I'm just kind of like, what's yeah, the right? I, I think you have to earn your prominence you can't just kind of buy it and let's see where he is in 10 years i'll throw yeah. it on your cal is that cool yeah. 10 years from now we'll, we'll revisit yeah it. yeah and uh if i'm still if i'm still alive and um i am also fundamentally i don't believe in always on content it has to be more than just present it has to be good otherwise you're just putting up flyers on a college uh, rec hall bulletin board. It's just crap. There's enough crap in our lives. And I always felt no matter what you do, you have to hold yourself to a standard. 
And I feel like he just inundates the world with crap just to be in front of the world. And no, to I, I totally get that's, it. That's the Twitter uh, way we have. I think there's a guy in the White House. I forget his name who does the same thing. That's I mean, look, that's totally fair. I, I think that that leads into something else that I wanted to talk to you about. Sure. And I love segues like I love like natural segues. So hopefully this isn't the first one. But Gary V, like what for for, you know, he would classify himself as new world. You know, he's right. very much about like shooting out content, digital, 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 just get out LinkedIn. It doesn't matter if it sucks, all that sort of stuff. Um, the result of that mindset I, I'm pretty sure you would agree with this, is that shit sucks on digital. Yeah. Like 90% of ads at least suck on digital. Do you it's think there's a way? Ads. Right, okay. Just in terms of content? Um, no, it's, it's, it's actually, I, I got to believe, there's probably three reasons or four that you'd go online. To shop, for information about something, to be entertained, or for porn. I mean, would you basically agree with that? I mean, yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought about it a lot, but um, I, I mean, I would, yeah. I would, I would guess those four categories and maybe entertainment and porn overlap, but does but, that include uh, connection? Like, you know, staying and then, and then social connection, let's say, so those are the five main categories. I, I would imagine those five categories like Bud Miller cores dominate 85% of the usage of the, of the channel. I'm going to stick with that. When I shop, I find every shopping experience woeful. I can't find any information about any product outside of what Amazon says I should buy, and that's all sponsored links. If I want to buy something fairly complicated where I want to find, I, I want to actually make an intelligent decision, not a 4.3 stars out of five, and you know, uh, Jill from um, Winona, Minnesota likes it, I can't find it. And then in terms of information, We've been so uh, bludgeoned by uh, Wikipedia, which is really a crappy uh, resource. I mean, there's really not a lot of gr a great deal of good information on Wikipedia. It's available. It's just not very good. I mean, of course, I spend time online. I read the New York Times. I respect the New York Times. But beyond the New York Times, I'm not happy with the amount, the quality of information I get. You know, my wife and I, as you know, just moved into a new home. So we have to buy a new everything. You can get no real help online. So, yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all like, it's a system that's gamed, for sure. Yeah, and, and so any, so if you go back to even Amazon 10 years ago, say Amazon 2004, what I figured out in 2004 was what made Amazon, in my mind, successful, at least to my generation, was Amazon basically replicated the archetypical small town America. So Amazon was a main street with 25 different stores on it. Each of the merchants knew your name. They had in their memory what you bought before. So they had some, pref so they had some knowledge of what your preferences were and they spoke to you accordingly. So you actually got served things. If you bought a book on the history of the iPhone, they might suggest the history of the Android for you. It would be as good as a personal recommendation would be. All that service is gone. So essentially, the online experience, in my mind, is the same as the big box store experience. You can't find anything. There's no one to help you. God forbid you have a problem. You're screwed. You're saying that like online, it's difficult to find maybe 
honest, reliable sources to be able to sort yeah. through products. I mean, I can go to consumer buy. reports, but why don't I just go to consumer reports? That's not a new channel. That's a new delivery system. Right. Is, is your suggestion, I'm not sure if it's related, uh, that advertising could have a role in helping people understand? That was traditionally advertising's role. If 100 years ago I were working for Listerine, I would write an ad because the concept of dental hygiene was relatively new 100 years ago, let's say. So uh, I educated you because where else would you be educated? There wasn't a family tradition of teeth brushing. And I talked to you about germs in your mouth and how germs can lead to decay and decay can lead to bad breath. And if you take this, it's got a special astringent that wipes out the germs for up to 24 hours. And I'd write a little essay on that. And it was night, you know, there wasn't a lot of entertainment in the world and you read it. But that's traditionally what advertising did. It gave you information and needed to establish a brand personality so you, you believed that they were on your side rather than just shilling. I mean, that's how it's supposed to work. Right. But in today's day and age, right, like there's so much clutter. There's never been more, you know, stuff clogging up channels, particularly digitally, which is now the majority of most spend. And people don't trust advertising. I don't, I don't trust advertising, you know? So to me, I, I guess like what's the opportunity for, for a brand to earn somebody's trust and be a reliable source right. of, uh, Hey, this product might be good for you. You know, I, I think there's a, a, at least two bits to that. The one thing I'm not a hundred percent sure on is that digital is the dominant channel, but, but that's, that's splitting hairs. The chances are, if I said to you, Tim, is there any advertising you like? You'd probably say Apple at some degree and Nike and maybe one or two other things. I like, uh, so I like this clear ad that came out about five years ago is probably one of my favorite ads. And it's, um, the tagline is we don't know you we just know your acne or something like that. Uh-huh. And it's them trying to like kind of mocking how people it, like make commercials trying to appeal to millennials. And it's just so dumb. And right. so they're just being super bad at it. And it's just really funny. And then, um, you know, there's this palace skateboards ad with Jonah I Hill. I haven't seen that. Yeah. It's so dumb, funny. It's like, yeah. So I, there's, there's definitely a lot of ads that apply to my personal taste. Right. Particularly in the comedy space that are, are done really well. Um, Apple is obviously great, but I think Nike, in my opinion, is far better, at least for me. The work that they consistently turn out is not necessarily artistic, but like so emotional. The ad that they just put out with a split screen, like they're yeah. hitting it out of the park. And, and and I guess my point would be that people are quick to say everyone hates advertising, but then they're quick to talk about the advertising they love. I think when people say they hate advertising, it's because so much advertising is badly done. My guess is that when advertising actually does impart useful information in an executionally brilliant way, it's bona fide information and they've connected with you in a genuine way, you would regard that as an amalgam that you would expect from a, a coworker or a friend. Information entertainingly delivered with no bullshit. If you said from the earliest days of communication, sitting around a hearth, it was, I have to tell you to do, I have to get your attention. I have to tell you to do something. And I have to tell you why to do it. And, and if I can do that in a lovable way, it's all going to work out together. That hasn't changed. 
I think what's happened is people don't actually stick to the value exchange in communication. All I'm going to do is scream at you about Verizon's great network. Why would you like that? But if I make it interesting, if I speak to you as a human and I give you useful information, you're going to like it. That's just the way it goes. But if you're unlikable, it's not going to work. If you're not interesting, it's not going to work. And if you don't provide something at the end, it's not going to work. That's, that's the way communication works. It never started with junk, though. It, it never started with, I'm going to tell you a bunch of shit you don't really care about, but because I'm in your face, we're going to have a connection. It never worked that way. So could we apply that way of thinking? Because that's what I'm trying to do. Like, could we apply that way of thinking to these new digital platforms? There's a structure to how communication works. Smart people, not creative people, have studied this. First, I have to get your attention. Second, I have to tell you what I want. Third, I have to persuade you. That's the way it works. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I guess what I'm saying is, why can't that approach to communication, why can't the quality that we have you know, at Ogilvy's and, and these great agencies, um, why can't that be applied to a digital platform? It can, it, oh, okay. it, but, but, it, but it takes work. The mantra used to be in direct marketing, used to be list, offer, creative. Did you ever hear that? No. Okay, so in, in direct mail, it was list for success, list, offer, creative. So if I get it to your address and I know you like surfing, save 10% on a new surfboard, I'd get you to open it. I'd probably be able to sell the product even if what I wrote on the inside was a bunch of crap. So they ported that thinking over into the online space. But I don't think it really works because list offer creative might work if they know you're a surfing fan and they know tomorrow's going to be 84 and the water temperature is going to be 75 and you're really into that. But it's not going to work if they're trying to sell you a cell phone because there's nothing that genuinely appealing. What they forgot about is people, you're interrupting people. And if you're going to interrupt people, you better interrupt them with something good. Right. I, this is me. I don't agree with this, but this is me playing devil's advocate to better understand the rationale. So if the game name of the game is ultimately selling something and the mass says that, you know, creating in your face ads that, you know, people don't like leads to more sales and good creative doesn't basically what's your opinion on that? Why, how do you justify that creative isn't is important if the math doesn't support it? I mean, numbers, numbers are so easily manipulated and you've got whole infrastructures at agencies and clients to prove that crap works. But at some point you have to look inside yourself and say, well, would I buy from this? I mean, why, why would it be interesting if I find it so distasteful? Am I so wrong that I find this distasteful? So, so absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think a problem that marketers are having, having and one of the reasons I think large agencies they're really focused on quality creative and building brands are suffering is that, you know, here they are getting a bunch of sales maybe in the short term. Um, but there's no brand, there's no focus on the, on the brand and it's right. less measurable and, and whatever, but how, how do you go about convincing them of the importance of a brand? How would you do that? I mean, it, it's, it's sad that we even have to ask that question. I mean, because 
very few of us wear a single piece of clothing or have a single object in our homes that doesn't have some kind of brand mark on it. So we bought them kind of for a reason. And I mean, there's probably 50 products in your life where you believe for whatever reason, this product's brand will give you some indefinable extra and you'll spend extra money on it from buying Coca-Cola rather than um, store brand to buying Nike socks rather than Walgreens socks, Band-Aids rather than generic. A lot of that's because they built brands to support it. When you stop doing that, we probably all would have switched to uh, Kmart sneakers by now if we didn't have those Nike commercials we loved. Supporting the brand gives you permission to charge more. I totally agree. We shouldn't have to answer that question. And thank you for giving that example. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. So you're regarded as one of the best copywriters you know, in the industry today, maybe in history. And I, I agree. Um, just reading your blog and, and knowing you from Ogilvy. So what is your writing process? I just kind of want to dig into that um, in terms of, you know, even the start, when you get a brief, regardless of what the task is, how do you approach it, you know, right out the gate? Well, I mean, that's a a tough question. You know, it's hard for me not to sound like 100 years old sometimes, partly because I am 100 years old, but I grew up in an era where you went into advertising after having done many other things. You know, we didn't directly go to ad school. You know, a lot of us along the way wanted to be academics or lawyers. And for whatever reason, we couldn't make it. But there is kind of an investigative quality in the old days. It it doesn't exist anymore because everything's due in an hour. But in the old days, you visited the factory, you learned everything you could about the product. That was part of the process. So if I were going to sell you that microphone shield, I would do research and say, gee whiz, you know, why do people have a a shield in front of their microphone? Does it diffuse sound waves? What does it do? So that would be interesting to me. You know, you find a way to make it interesting. So what you have to keep doing is keep probing. Yeah, but why? We find things out. Our job is to look at the world and keep turning it upside down until we find something interesting. Got it. Um, So I mentioned before that I have, or I'm trying to start semi-unsuccessfully, a comedy ad agency. So my thought was comedy is an effective way to get people to like you. And nobody's really putting a stake in the sand to say that outwardly. You know, BFG was very much that. But um, I don't know. What do you think about that idea for an ad agency? Is that compelling? This is a really, really, really tough time to start anything, even your car engine. You know, I think it's a great idea. It's just, you know, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of dependencies on comedy. I think comedy is, is often very hard to do cheaply because bad actors are bad comedians uh, and bad directors are not good at comedy, you know, and, and the people who are good are highly paid for a reason. And there's nothing worse, as you know, than bad comedy. I mean, all you really have to do is go on YouTube and watch someone take like a WhatsApp commercial from 20 years ago and try to do it now. And it's, 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 you know, it's horrible if it's not perfect. But I think it's a good idea because it's basically saying we're going to figure out a way to break through. Well, but, you know, um, comedy is a hard thing, as you know, because it's, it, it's, it's hard to sell. Yeah, I mean, particularly to more conservative people. I, I, what I'm trying to lean into now is to get my foot in the door is like, we need comedy 
now more than ever, that seems like a sentiment that resonates with, with yeah. businesses. And so it makes them more willing to try. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm going for, but it's been extremely tough as somebody who really had no connections outside of like, you know, mid-level people at fortune 500 companies uh, to get my foot in the door. So right. I was just curious what you thought is like an outward facing concept if you were putting your client hat on. So one of the last things I wanted to ask you about is um, ageism. So you talk a lot about ageism. You're uh, 61 now. 62 you don't, 62 and a half. 62 and a half. So for advertising, that's not that it should be, but that's old. It's right? my like, IQ too. <laughs> and so and my like, shoe size. That's um, a tremendously large foot. I don't know how yes. you just stood uh, up right there. You know what? It was clown college did it to me. Clown college? Yeah. Yeah. So you just keep the clown shoes on. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think that sucks. And you were at Ogilvy for about five years and then you were let go. Uh, and I'm not sure if that was before COVID or not, but did that, because you talk about like being like thanking somebody who fires you. But did that just like piss you off and make you yeah, I'm, angry? I'm, I'm exceedingly angry because I didn't deserve to be fired. And you should not staff a company based on demographics. And that's what's happening on the wor- in the world today, frankly. Uh, and I'm not going to go any further because you get me in trouble. But demographics should not be a criterion. And maybe they were for too long. And, but the, the rebound from that should not be to follow it in a different way. So, um, you know, a lot of ageism is really, I don't want to payism uh, because older people, and, and it's easy to conflate the two because the old people are the people's with, people with the bigger salaries. A lot of us come from an industry that was a richer industry. It's, it's no longer a rich industry, but we have salaries that we're fighting to maintain. But, you know, and then there's just disdain because how could we possibly be smart? You know, we don't, I don't care about Chance the Rapper or whoever. And that probably makes me even older. You know, it's, it's the way the agency business is that, um, you know, there's something wrong there. Uh, there's something, you don't all of a sudden get dumb. And people who have studied this would tell you that most people get more creative at least in the um, in the visual arts and writing, as they get older, I mean, it's not like all of a sudden you get bit by a dumb bug, you know. But that's that's the way the business is. But I I happen to also think it's an attempt to depress wages. So that's that's where you think the biggest cause of it is, because it doesn't make sense to me outside of. Uh, I think it's I think it's twofold. One is we're we're less likely to be tractable, so you have a new level of management that's forty. And they know everything. And, and my inclination is to say, no, that's not right. That, that makes no sense to me. Explain how that works. Number two is a lot of people believe like the Ozembic, the, the casting of the Ozembic commercials, like all old people do is walk around and sing about their blood pressure medicine uh, as they get into golf carts and, and push their grandchildren on swings. And then number three is old people make more money. I was working on the toughest assignment of my life when I was fired. I was making more money than I was costing the agency. It was on Boeing. It was trying to turn Boeing around. It's not the kind of thing you can write a jingle and get out of the way. It was a complicated project. 
and you had to turn things around quickly. No offense to 25-year-olds. It takes a certain amount of skill. And, you know, I don't know who's going to do that kind of work at that place right now. I, but that's I can't not imagine. my problem. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine a more difficult assignment. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's essentially, if you think about it as I did, that client essentially is, is a defense contractor. Defense contractors are trained not to be honest. That's not the way they think. They have two planes that crash, and they would have had 20 more because the plane wasn't right. And they don't know how to talk to the public about what went wrong. That's a tough fucking job. You're not going to send out a tweet. Oops. Like, how, how far did you get? I mean, can you speak to, like, how you were trying to go about that? I would implode. You know, usually what I try to do, and you probably got a little bit of it from this conversation, is I, I try to think of what would happen to a single human being if we really screwed up with the person we live with. So I said to myself, well, if my wife had a favorite vase and she was away on a business trip and I was playing with the dog or whatever, throwing a ball in the house for whatever stupid reason, and I broke the vase, I clean it up, I go on Amazon and order something as close a replica of the vase as I could. And the minute she came through the, through the door, I'd say, I screwed up, I broke the vase, here's what I'm doing to replace it. So I said to, me, said to myself, from a, a pillar point of view, what does that experience teach me? You make a mistake, you admit it, you clean up, you make good, you inform people. Those are the precepts I figured. Well, if they work for an interpersonal relationship, why wouldn't they work when I'm speaking to 100,000 people? But that's how you do it. Same way if you're a company. I mean, it's a little bigger. I killed 300 people. But you say, okay, we screwed up. Here's what we're doing. Ask us anything. Here's how we're fixing it. And we're going to keep fixing it. I'm going to keep talking to you. That's fantastic. Um, that's so helpful. But that's what you do as a comedian. You notice when someone falls, people laugh. So you say, well, how can I extrapolate from that? <laughs> Something surprising happens and people laugh. So that's what I want to take over and capture and replicate if I'm talking about chicken soup. I mean, you kind of want to learn from human experience. That's what we do. You, you talk about, as somebody who's in therapy and gotten value from therapy, you know, I've seen some ways that it's um, not just made me better as a person, but made me better at my job yeah. working with people. So you're open and honest about that too, which I think is fantastic. How has it made you better at your job? You know, there's a value in just having someone to talk to, period. Just being able to put into words what you're feeling, what you're doing, what your tensions are, what your pressures are, how you feel slighted by this, how you feel annoyed by this, how you feel upset by this, how you hate this, how you love this. There's a value in just articulating it. I mean, it's why I tell creative people, whether they're writers or not, just write every fucking thing down. And therapy is a little bit like that. Uh, it, ma it makes you aware of, of your surroundings. And then it's, you know, there's, I happen to believe, you know, humans don't, haven't essentially changed in the 200,000 years we've been standing upright. We have the same basic human needs. So the needs that I have, they need to be listened to, they need to be heard, they need to be valued, they need to be thanked, they need to be rewarded. So, I mean, that kind of empathy, that's all, that was a lot of my job at Ogilvy and my group is 
not everybody can actually listen. Uh, and not everybody can say, well, I think that's a good idea what you're saying, but what if you tried this with it? And I think your challenge is going to be this. I mean, this is my opinion. You know, I don't really know anything. Like, like a therapist, I have the value of not being emotionally invested. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I agree. I get, I get similar value out of it. I, I like to end, you know, pretty with a pretty unspecific question, okay. uh, just giving you an op- opportunity to, if you could share one thing with me based on what you know, or based on just your experience in general, one piece of advice to, to sort of leave me and whoever's listening with, what, what would that be? You know, I guess today the popular word is uh, resiliency. And, you know, I'm 62, as you know, and I I never heard resiliency except in terms of rubber bands until I was about 58. But there's a lot of setbacks in the world. There's a lot of things that upset you. There's a lot of moments you feel like you've lost, that you couldn't come, you didn't come through. Someone beat you on an assignment. You didn't do a great job on assignment. You lost a piece of business. You got fired. You got kicked out of someplace. That's kind of life. The trick is to kind of get up and go, okay, well, how much of that's because of me? How much of that is circumstances? And what do I do about it? And nine times out of 10, what you do about it is you go back and try a little harder. And you say, I'm going to work a little harder. You, you get up a little earlier. Well, you, if you knew me at Ogilvy, you knew I was always, pretty much always the first one in. And, you know, I believed in always kind of getting in a little earlier and working a little harder and trying more things because, A, it's the right thing to do. And, B, I want to win. Ogilvy fired me. If I were going to be really arrogant about it, I tell you right now, I have a better mix of accounts than Ogilvy does. They're bigger than I am, but in terms of the accounts I have at, on retainer, I have a better account roster than Ogilvy. So fuck them. And you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to have an even better one. And don't fuck with me. <laughs> you know, there's, there's people who are bigger and stronger and faster, but I am going... I am not going to give up. I am not going to give up. I mean, that's what I would tell, you know, my daughters. That's what I would tell people in my group. That's what I tell people in my school, you know, the class I'm teaching at Ad House. You know, that's kind of the way it goes. You got to, you know, you work hard. That's, that's a way of proving yourself. That's what I do. George, first, thank you. And resilience is, is you know, I think the biggest takeaway that I get from a lot of these conversations and I really like the way that you put it. Um, I find you inspiring. I find you you. really generous with your time and I find you extremely talented. So thank you so much. And uh, let's definitely keep in touch. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for reaching out. Wow. You know, at the end there, I, I like that George got super real, you know, like he got, he was he was fired in the middle of a super difficult thing that he felt well equipped to do. He had done great things for the agency. You know, that's how he felt. And I understand that. And so to be like, fuck you, you know, for doing that. And this happened before quarantine. I get that feeling. I get that that anger. And, you know, I think it's totally fine for him to say that. I think that, you know, obviously I spilled my guts on here. And so I always appreciate when someone is willing to say how they feel. And trust me, I'm never going to fuck with that guy. 
Like, that don't fuck with me. Hit me in the gut. I'm like, wasn't planning on it. Definitely not going to happen if I was. You know, tons of other stuff I want to talk about, but it's got to end at some point. So I want to thank George, as I always want to thank my guest. He didn't have to come here. He, you know, again, I said in the beginning, like, I'm kind of a nobody at this point. So, um, you know, I really appreciate his time and having faith in, in me and the podcast. So stick around. Don't stick around. That's not what I meant. Come back. That's what I meant. Come back on the next one. Talk to you soon.